Welcome to the Sanctuary Podcast. Angel Deer is a medicine man and offers his work on sacred land through shamanic healing, energy healing, sound healing, breath work, plant medicine, and workshops and events. The Sanctuary is a community for all those who seek healing transformation, ancient wisdom, and a place to come together to create a new way of living and relating. This is the Sanctuary Podcast, and this is Angel Deer. And we are live on the Extraordinary Sports YouTube channel. I'm your host, Alex Monaco. We're hanging with a very special guest today. It's not an athlete. But my goodness, his mindset is on point when it comes to how to affect athletes, CEOs, leaders, coaches of all kinds. Guillaume Godereau, a very successful motivational speaker, CEO, business strategist, and a lot more. Thank you so much, Guillaume, for joining us. How are you doing in New York today? I'm doing great, Alex. Well, thanks to you for inviting me on your show. It's a real pleasure to to come and share some tips with you. Absolutely. So I want to start with awakened leadership because that that's one of your main areas you work with CEOs and leaders with. And one of the things you that stuck out to me that you particularly when it comes to awakened leadership, it, it has to do with managing your heart center. So I wanted to start off with kind of the difference between leading from your mind versus leading from your heart. Yeah, I mean, it's if you look at the, the world today and most corporations and, in fact, most of the world organizations are mainly led from the mind. And, and then, you know, if there is some space left, at some point we incorporate some hard values a little bit. But it looks a little bit like we're going somehow to weaken uh, the decision, you know, it looks like, you know, the heart somehow, if you put some sensibility, some emotions or something like that, is going, not going to lead the organization in the right way. Right. Well, awakened leadership is completely reversed. Is we're starting to connect first with ourselves, with our truth, with exactly who we are, with what we want, with what drives us, with what deeply, deeply in our body keeps us awake at night, makes us want to be alive. You know, that thing since we're five years old and we say we have to do it before we die, the place we have to go, the things we have to create, the books we have to write. So we connect to that place. And we connect with all our colleagues, all the people in the organization through that connection because we all have that purpose. We all have that sense, you know, of connections. And we create an organization which is driven and managed from there. And then, yes, we use the brain, we use uh, the head uh, to take direction, to take decision, you know. Like I say, you know, use your brain to cross the streets. It's, it's pretty useful. If not, you're going to be crushed by a car, you know. <laughs> Don't use your heart to feel, oh, do I like the car or not, if I'm going to cross or not. But so... It's a completely a reverse way of looking at organizations and personal developments. And what, why are we doing that? Ultimately, it's really to foster happiness in the definition of success in cooperation and at an individual level. 
And, you know, we can talk more about it later, but it's really where everything comes from. Well, you mentioned happiness and I, I saw one of your speeches and this, I found this very, very interesting. I, I connected with you in that regard because you said from the time you're very little, little, you were always seeking happiness. I've been the same way and you've had massive success, whether it be as a violinist, as a CEO, as a, you know, you, you're, you're a beekeeper making your own honey. I mean, it's incredible. You're, you're a man of many trades, but I guess when it comes to happiness and, and leadership and maybe a little bit of self-actualization, how important to you is purpose and meaning when it comes to leading from the heart with awakened leadership? Well, I think it's essential, you know, and I, I, I just want to, you know, give you a, a personal story. Please. I, until, you know, a few years ago, in fact, four or five years ago, my definition of uh, success uh, and happiness was not fully connected to life purpose, to my own purpose. Because, you know, I, I, I did like everybody. I went to the big schools. I climbed the corporate careers or I built my own business, you know, and I had my own success. You know, I, you know, I don't think it was a tremendous success, but, you know, I did okay. And, but from the eyes of society, from the others, you know, obviously when you do all those things, people say, well, if you achieve that, you should kind of start feeling that happiness, that fulfillment. It's more even fulfillment than happiness. And that was not coming really. Like the more I was climbing and, you know, I was a CEO for, for a big company, uh, uh, 10 years ago already in I didn't really feel fully that sense of achievements. And it was not that the money was not there. It was not that the, I would guess, the social status was not there. There was something missing. But I could not find out what it was because I followed all the rules. So I used to say, you know, in, in the speech I give very often, I talk about how broken my compass was. So I have this compass that I'm following. That, wow. that we all receive, we all receive, you know, we, we follow it and then we get somewhere and we, we're in the wrong place and we're like, it's not exactly what I thought it would be. Right. And we look at the compass and we're right at the right place and we don't, we're like, we're banking on it. I was like, oh, and we turn around the compass and we, there's a crack under and this compass is broken. And where it's broken is just that we haven't included in the definition our own life purpose, our own calling which can be, you know, sometimes so buried by our education, by what our parents told us, by our education system told us, by what we see on TV, friends. I mean, sometimes there's so many layers on top of it that we can hear it. It doesn't mean it's not there. You know, there's a suffering in most individuals uh, because they are not connected to it. You know, everybody has that calling. So... Everybody somehow hears that voice, doesn't cannot recognize it, but there's that kind of tension, you know, I'm not in the right place. And very often people that contact me to do some coaching works are because they feel that tension. They have that success, some part of it, but they're like, I don't understand, I'm 50 years old or, or even I'm 30, you know, I built two startups, but I'm not happy. And I feel like going to do a third one and it's not going to answer really to my happiness, right. you know, and it's just because they haven't done a proper work on life purpose very often. 
Now, would you consider calling different than purpose? Because let's take an athlete, for example. Let's take a six foot 10 human who obviously everyone would look at and say basketball from, you know, hour one. But I've seen over the years, some athletes retire early, even the millions of dollars doesn't appeal to them. So would you consider purpose and a calling different? No, I mean, to me, it's the same. I mean, you're called into your purpose. I guess that's what you, you, you that there's a calling that's that sound in the background that you probably, that voice that you can already hear and right. you're pulled into it or pushed towards it, you know, either, and you will resist it sometime and sometime all your life. Some people, you know, resist until the end to kind of step into it. And yes, obviously you have skills, you know, if you are extremely skilled, you know, in certain sports, for example, or you're super tall, you know, if that size, you know, someone of my size, even if I feel at the calling to be a basketball player, probably would have never been a professional player, <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> Hey, my 5'8 father, I had to accept that a long time ago as well. So I'm right there with you, jeans-wise. Yeah, but I could have gone into basketball and maybe be, be uh, a great, you know, on a support of teams or coachings or in healing the players. I don't know, working with them in different capacities. There's something in me that tells me I need to be there next to the players. Maybe I need to play a part there, you know. I mean, it was not my calling, but maybe for some people it could be, you know. So the physical or, or at least the... I say that because I don't want people to think that sometimes we, we think of our limitations. You know, we think I can't do this because I'm not good at that. I can't sing because I don't have a voice. I can't write because I don't know how to write. We don't know what it can be as, as we explore that path, you know. So if it's really the calling in our heart, you have to explore it, however it looked like at the beginning. And obviously, as a successful businessman, a CEO that's built several companies, you have to have vision. So yeah. how do you explain, you know, since we're talking about calling and purpose, when you get visions and we can get into meditation in a second, but when you get these visions, whether you're an athlete or you're someone who's creating something from scratch, an innovator of some sort, how do you go with those visions? How do you stay in the gut and, and not mm. stay up here? Because often, the, you know, you'll play tennis back and forth in your mind, but your heart will tell you something different. Yeah, so the question is really in many ways are the fears uh, or your limited belief system, like we say, the shadows that we have, you know, whatever past we have and that tells us you can't do this or you can't or you should not. How do we kind of keep the fear in control so we stay really empowered? And so it's really to me, I mean, it's a daily practice to kind of connect to that vision every day to make sure, you know, I reconnect to that center inside me, that I nurture it. That little voice, that vision voice, that things that we know about what we need to create needs nurturing because the world is so noisy, so noisy. Between social media, you know, I'm addicted to it. I spend a lot of time on it, way too much time. You <laughs> know, but I do a lot of business there. You know, I find a lot of clients on LinkedIn, on Instagram. I mean, you find right. me on Instagram. There we go. I found a lot of my clients now on Instagram, you know, and, and those are social media channels. So, you know, it's kind of, I know I have to go there, but I know I'm too much on it. Both side between the phone and the emails and everything else, despite I live in the countryside, you know, it's still overwhelming. And if I don't do even me, my daily practice, my voice, my vision, my calling is going to fade away. It's going to be there, but I'm not going to hear it as strong. 
And I might start to be directed by the world, by others, by the fears. I mean, turn on TV and listen at the world. You know, it's sometimes it looks like a pretty scary place. So you're going to be taken into that noise, that music, and you're going to forget how unique is your note. So I need to create for myself, like, you know, athletes do, like really the top CEOs and leaders do. They need every day to create that space so they can connect that inner voice. And so when you get in front of your team or when you get to ready to run, you can connect to that center because that's really where all your energy is. You can run on that energy the whole day without getting tired. If you run on this, I mean, all day, you're going to be exhausted by the end of the day. So you need to fuel from somewhere else. Got to get those chakras aligned, baby. There yes. you go. Yes. So with, with athletes, they're very regimented. They're very ritual based. I know you have a podcast centered around a morning ritual, just like you alluded to. If you don't take that time for you, your whole day could be going a completely different trajectory. So how important would you say, whether you be an athlete, a CEO, any kind of leader, a morning ritual is, or something you can always go back to, to get centered and grounded in times of chaos? To me, it's almost the same as like taking a shower every day or not. It's like, is there a day you say, well, today I don't think I need to wash or I don't think I need to be clean, you know? So we somehow are okay to assume, okay, you know, I obviously I take a shower every day. I clean every day. So for the outside, we do something. But for the inside, our body, we kind of think it's okay to only do that once a week, to clean <laughs> the inside and to kind of take that inner shower once a week. And then we wonder why it's smelly inside <laughs> because we haven't do some home cleaning inside for a while, you know, and that's really what happened. So it's as essential really as a daily shower, as a daily cleaning of your house, as a daily making of your bed. To me, it's, it's that daily practice that my mind, my heart, my energy, is priority number one because it's what I'm going to use during the day. It's, it's, it's where I'm talking to you from right now. Before we did that interview here, you know, you called me 20 minutes ago, but right before now, 10 minutes ago, I did a little meditation. I centered myself. I went into my breath. I didn't say, okay, what should I talk about? No, no. I went into my center. So I would be more <sighs> great, present. Great minds think alike. I did the exact same thing. That's yes, phenomenal. You know, I, I get present, you know, I trust that I'm going to be able to talk from that place. If I get into my mind and say, oh, what should I say? What should I not say? You know, how do I talk? Then you get into fear mode. Once you get into your center, you're into your power. Then there's no stress. There's no worries about, you know, what to say or not say. So that daily practice, I mean, Clearly, you know, if there is a day that I don't do it, my day looks completely different. So I always make the people I work with experience with it. I have people that have never done that in their whole life and they start to practice. They are, you know, 30, 35, 40, 45 years old. And after five days or a week, they call me and say, Guillaume, this is changing my life. This is our powerful Five minutes. We're talking about five or ten minutes. Five minutes a day is for your eighteen hours of being awake most of the time. 
I said, can you spend 10 minutes, 15 minutes out of 18 hours being awake for yourself? And some people say, I don't have time. Well, I think if you have a life where you don't have time to take 15 minutes from yourself out of 18 hours, you're living a very, very wrong life. There's something very wrong in your life. Well, they say a meditation. Families, busy jobs you have. This is there's something very wrong to look at. Yeah. Well, they say if you don't have 15 minutes, you need an hour in meditation. Yeah, exactly. 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 Well, so I'm huge and I've I'm not missed a day in meditation since April 14th, 2014. So I'm about over 850 days in-ish and I, I can't wow. not do it. It's a part of my daily practice. One of the books I, I listen to constantly on audio is called The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. Yeah, beautiful teacher. Beautiful Fascinated teacher. with, it's, it's so, it's so in depth, the written word. I have to listen to it audio because it's, it's so riveting. But my question to you is, and he's a you funny know, guy to listen to also. <laughs> uh, yeah, a lot of people can't stick it out with the audio, but you know, it's all right. I, I, I love him. I love it. Him. I think he's great. Yeah. But so he, he makes a point that we often are either ruminating on the past or we're projecting into the future and it robs us of, of the present. As a, as a speaker, as an athlete, you don't really have the luxury at times to dwell in the past or project in the future. If you do, you'll cost your team, you'll cost the effect effectiveness of your speech, et cetera. So how do you go about for yourself and with your clients really stressing living in the present moment? I, I think, you know, a, a lot of the coaching and it's a lot about how I coach people. It's really about empowering them. I'm not teaching them new tools or things, you know, I really want to discover by themselves that power that they have. I don't want to rob them from their power and say, hey, you know what, Guillaume has a tool or has a power that you don't have. No, I say, there's a power inside you that you've forgotten about. And let me show you the way to it. That's it. But I don't have special powers. You can do everything you want in the world. In fact, you could do things that you can't even imagine right now. But it's right there waiting for you inside you. So really what we're trying to do with people is just trying to bring those tools and make them experiment them. Once people experiment and see the difference and see what it means, because I can talk to them about what it means to be present and the theory of it. And it's very interesting. There's a lot of reason why when we are present, we have way more energy. We can, you know, go through the whole day without being tired. So we can go, you know, talk for hours about that right now. But it's much more efficient for someone to say, do you want to experience it? Do you want to do a little experience, practice that tomorrow, and tell me how your day went? Call me at the end of the day. I want you to do that in the morning. I want you to do that maybe during the day and in the, in the afternoon. And then call me in the evening and tell me what you felt. Not when you did it only, but during the day after. And then people say, wow, this is what I experienced. And everybody experiences it because we all built the same way. Either broken, we have evolved. We all have this foundation right there. I, either, you know, how much, let's say, we're suffering in silence, we all have that capacity to be back to a state of fulfillment and happiness. And that's what drives me, is to see people that somehow... 
don't think it's possible sometime anymore, you know, because they, they've been suffering for so long. They feel so far away from that state. They kind of give up on themselves. And it's giving them a little tools like that. They can reconnect to it and immediately, you know, be back into contact with that, with that power. Fascinating response. And so you've obviously seen many different variations of suffering. You've lived in a first world country. You've gone and visited a third world country. You've studied with Mother Teresa in Calcutta with dying people. You've walked with monks. With all of those collective experiences, do you, do you have to deal with people on a case-by-case -case basis for what they deem is their suffering or their problems when you've been exposed to so much? Because first world problems, you've heard that quote, aren't third world problems and third world, you know. So I guess what I'm getting at is how do you have the patience which with each individual person in, in getting them to understand, I guess, how to the Buddhist way of dealing with suffering and, and getting through it and working with it and essentially, you know, working towards self-actualizing and, and getting in that moment of joy and inspiration. Yeah. I mean, it's a fair question, but it's true that suffering is, you know, it's a relative concept. What's, what's makes you suffer for you might not be a problem for your neighbor, you know, and, you know, and to, and, you know, you're on a certain level of frequency, not everyone's on your level. So to have that patience and mental fortitude to not, you know, I yeah, guess. But in many ways, you know, what you do in any case, you just hold a space for people. Oh, I you love that. Wow. Space around them with just love. You know, that's really what we do at the end of the day, where whoever they are, wherever they're coming from, whatever is whatever is their life story it's going to be safe to finally open their heart finally there's a place where you know you can be there and all the weights that you've put on your shoulders for so many years just take that weight and put it down and say okay you know what i'm ready to let go i'm ready to move forward now and it's really the, the walk in healing. You know, I don't like to say I'm a healer because the world has so many connotations around it, but either I'm doing Reiki or different energy healing methods, really what we create is a safe space around that person. And people, their process is going on their own, you know, through them. You know, we're just allowing the process to happen because it was stuck, you know, but the process it's not me that I have magic hands. It's something much <laughs> bigger, something much, much bigger that walks through them and through me at the same time. You know, so we just align that to happen through them. And very often, you know, leaders, CEOs, executives, you know, even sometimes even mothers or people that, you know, uh, don't have a job for a long time. They haven't been open really about their suffering to anyone, like in the depths open, because even with their best friend, they might say, but you know, they don't want to bother their friends over and over again with their problems. They yeah. probably don't tell their family anymore because they're ashamed of it. They don't tell people in the social network because they feel ashamed also. And, you know, or they feel, you know, no, or people don't share their suffering because they think, oh, it's okay. No, everybody's suffering. So why would I talk about it? This is the way you are when you're a CEO. You just have to suffer and to take it on. 
So there's really no place where they can just open. And when you create a space to do that, and, you know, we do retreats like that, and we can talk about it maybe after, where we bring CEOs in nature and we allow them to experience that, within four or five days, people really think that they have been carrying for 30 years. And it's extraordinary to just witness that. And we just allow them to do it. That's really what we do. It's extraordinary. Well, and we're on with... Guillaume Gautero, G-A-U-T-H-E-R-E-A-U group.com. You can follow him on Instagram, G-G-A-U-T-H-E-R-E-A-U, CEO, motivational speaker, business strategist, healer, you name it. We're on the horn with him, loving, talking, unbelievable life conversation right now. So Guillaume, I want to I wanna talk about what you just were alluding to in regards to you know, we can be so open with someone we don't even know mm. yet. We're so guarded with, you know, our friends, our family, our teammates, but, you know, I've done team building exercises before I minored in leadership in college, the trust falls, Zen retreats. I, I've been a part of it. And it's amazing when you let your guard down and you're vulnerable, how many people are receptive to that want to help you want to listen, want to empower you. And that to me is a beautiful thing about the human condition. We just don't see that enough in our society. Like you just alluded to, we maybe look weak or we don't look, you know, so why is that? And how can we change from belittling to empowering? Well, we, society? we have to turn around the way we approach other by just coming to a mindset of giving and not, not what can I get? And that's, that's uh, that the change of mindset. And if you look at the That's corporate, amazing. if you look at our society and the corporate culture, especially, and the way our civilization is built, it's how do we get? We take away from the earth. We take away from others. We, we take away from everything. It's like, it's a very needy, it's fear-based. I'm going to lack something. So if I don't take it, someone is going to take it. So we take resources from the earth before others can have it. We take all the woods of, from the forest because, you know, we think, oh, we need to make the money now for my shareholders. And I don't really care about my children if there are forests or trees, you know, in two generations or not. So it's a very short-term, fear-based approach. What we need to do is just reverse it say, okay, how can I get that forest to flourish? How wow. can I get that person to flourish? How can I get, you know, myself to flourish? you know, to be more happy. So how do we give, you know, first, when we start doing that, we receive in ways that are, we cannot understand until we really shift our mindset into doing it. And I did a little bit of service in my life, you know, when I went to Mother Teresa in India, other places like that, where for a few weeks or months, I was just in service where I was not there to receive anything. I was just walking, you know, for someone that needed help, right. pushing a, a wheelchair or, you know, feeding someone. I can't feel itself or washing someone. And the whole day you just do that. You know, you forgot who you are. You, you forgot, you know, your, your name. It doesn't matter. You're just, you're just an instrument of the divine, like they say. You know, you're, you're that hollow bone. You just do the ends that are helping and feeding. I got the most insight and clarity for my life. 
the most love ever received in those moments. Wow. I was not going there to get insight or wisdom. I was not going there to get love. But I got that greatest gift in exchange. Just seeing the smile of someone you know, that can't feed itself and that you just fed a meal uh, because that person is paralyzed. Just little things, you know, that we forgot about life when we live in cities like New York because, you know, we, we don't see the poverty anymore in the same way. And it's very sterilized and it's very, you know, like you say, you know, first world country problems, you know, where, you know, this seems sometimes like stupid problems, you know compared to the problem of the, the other part of the world, it really puts things in perspective. And what you see in those countries is overall communities and people that are much more happy because there is that sense of giving and community, which is very embedded into the tradition, into the life. When someone passes away, the whole village is there, you know, the whole community is there, you know. Wow. Uh, you know, even children go to the cemetery and we look at the body being buried or being burned, you know, if you're in India and babies are there and it's celebrated that, you know, for us, you know, like cemeteries is outside of the city and it's hidden and, and, and we hide the bodies and it's so everything is just reversed where we, we are in life together. We are in suffering together. We are all going to grow through it. And by the way, we all dying. Big news. We all die <laughs> and we all going without anything. And either we believe or not in God doesn't really matter because we're going to go with anything anyway. You're listening to the Sanctuary Podcast with Angel Deer. While you're listening, browse the website at www.thesanctuaryheal.com. That's so, what to me is so fascinating that you're, we're in... America, America obsessed with materialism, and you spend your whole life acquiring these things to, I don't know, maybe impress people you don't know or give yourself some sort of internal worth. Yet every single time in life, when you set the intention to give or just be present or show up and help, you get so much more than anything you would get on the surface. So do you think to me, I think it's the third world countries and those type of countries, India, all sort I haven't been, but those types of places that to me are, should be, we, the America should be looking at as how can, you know, how can we live more communal? And, you know, that's why I love sports so much. Sports is community based. It brings people together. It's mm -hmm. athletes are just doing what they love and it ends up giving something to other people that came to the stadium. I love that. So I don't really have a question, more just a statement with that because I, I find it so fascinating and it no, fires me up because I'm not I'm not motivated by materialistic things. If we have food, we have shelter, we have our basic needs met, then we should be looking to all be servant leaders. Yes, definitely. And sports and all those things, you know, the connection, why is that working so well and you have community because it's a connection to the heart again. It's not a mental connection. It's not an intellectual decision. It's an emotional, heart-centered. And that's why if you're passionate about sports, you're going to be passionate from five years old to the end of your life. That's not going to change. <laughs> it's, not, it's not like an evolution. Like, you know, it's like chocolates. You love chocolates all your life, you know, <laughs> the end of it. 
It's, it's a very heart-centered medicine. And once you, and you know the power it has to drive people, to drive a whole country in the street together to celebrate, forgetting their colors, forgetting their race, forgetting their religions, forgetting everything, their sorrows of the day in the, you know, that ultimate connection. So yeah, definitely third world countries, you know, show us in many ways, some aspect of that in the way they live. Absolutely. And I want to talk about inspiration. If you break the word down in spirit and when it comes to inspiration, motivation, obviously you're in a, a, a power and leadership position where you, everyone's looking at you to be the, the guy with energy, the guy with enthusiasm, the guy with inspiration. We're human beings though. I like to call it the vortex. You go in and out of the flow. Yes. So for you, you know, how do you rally yourself? And then when you intuitively, because you obviously have very high emotional intelligence, when you're feeling someone's not connecting in spirit with inspiration, do you have a, a one-two punch with how to bring them back up? Or is it a case-by-case -case basis? And, as, and also with yeah, yourself. It's case-by-case, case, but one of the exercises I do with the people I coach is to say, to tell them, where is your bliss? What, what was the thing that you were doing when you were little, where you were like excited, you know, when you were five, six, seven, eight. And people look at me sometimes as like in their fifties, like, I don't know. And like, I was just a kid. I was playing around saying, no, but as each kid is different. There was something you did when you were little, you know, when you are in your bliss, where you were, you know, some people love, I don't know, climbing trees and being tree houses. Some of the kids love playing with uh, tools. Some of the kids love, you know, I don't know what, opening, you know, the, uh, the appliances and dismantling them, you know. We all, have, we all had something that got us really excited and interested. And that connection to our bliss is very close to our, what inspires sometimes, most of the time. So for me, I was very connected to nature when I was very little. You know, it's not new that, it's why I live in nature. I, I have bees. I do a lot of things with plants. And, you know, and it's been in my life since I'm born. But it was different in the way it was when I was five. But it's my bliss. So when I'm in nature, when I'm doing gardening, when I'm with my bees, when I, I bring people in nature, I'm inspired and I'm inspiring others. Well, I'm not trying to be inspiring. I mean, I'm not waking up in the morning and say, what can I do inspiring for people? No, I'm waking up and say, okay, what inspired me today? What, what is driving me? Like this morning, I was, you know, I had fever for the last few days. And like I told you earlier, and, and I was like, I still, you know, wanted to do something with my garden. And because that's something that gives me energy, that inspire me, that connect me to my center. So I was doing that. And then I was like, oh, I should take a photo of that and talk about it because I know it's connecting to my truth. So it doesn't mean do that, do the same as Guillaume, live the same life, not at all. But when we are aligned with that divinity inside us, we talk to everyone. We all know that when we see someone in their power, that they are exactly where they have to be, when they talk from their hearts, even if we're not that person, that we're not in that field, that's going to sparkle something inside us, that's going to shake in something very deep inside us, going to give us that inspiration. 
And that's the only thing we have to do. We don't have to copy anyone, which we're all trying to do. We have to dive inside and to be as close as possible to our own bliss, our own voice. You know, Wayne Dwyer, you know, the amazing teacher that passed, you know, almost wow, a year that's, ago. That's the, that's the meditation I did this morning. I am what I am. Okay, Sorry, so we, you know, Wayne was an amazing teacher and he's still an amazing teacher because his teachings, you know, are very alive. And he said, you know, don't die with your note still in your heart. You have to play your notes, that note of music. You know, don't die with your music still in your heart. Play that music. And that's really what we have to do. It's not to play the notes and the music of everyone else. It's to recognize that we have our own music. And the whole universe is going to miss, not sound the same way if our music is missing. It's very key. Our note is very key. It's, it's unique. Nobody has that note. So if the universe is going to miss that note, if we don't play it, and that's what we have to find. And we have to practice that every day to connect to it. And then we can fuel our personal life, our professional life from there and be, you know, successful for real. And it doesn't mean, you know, not making, we can make tons of money. It's not about making too much money or anything like that, but but the grounding, the ground of it, the roots of it needs to be anchored into that place. Beautifully said. And I, I want to bring up the podcast and the blog. So your podcast is incredible. Guillermo. It's already top 20 in the spiritual spirituality and wisdom section. It's called the Saint, Sanctuary Healing and Coaching Center. You've had topics already like awakened leadership, daily morning practice, the power of meditation. So I, I do want to touch on meditation for a second because I'm fascinated by it. I'm actually blown away at how many athletes are so great at their craft and how little they actually exercise the, the mindset. They're, they're, they're banking on their physical skills. So, you know, such as in life, you know, they say in football and soccer and baseball and golf, it's more mental than physical. And, you know, we're human beings in a physical world watching a physical game. And you hear a statement like that. And I don't think people really take that statement and marinate with it. So for you, you know, meditation, I, I, I want to know what it's done for your life, but also how you th how you could see meditation and also your awakened leadership and how they're synonymous with helping athletes and sports because they are some of they are in my opinion some of the best people in the world to empower and lead with the particular position they're in and how much our society values sports well i think the biggest issue in the world today is to find clarity to find our own clarity because it's such a noisy world. So it's to find silence in a noisy place. And there's no other practices than meditation that can bring that. And the consequence when we don't do that is fear, anxiety. People, you know, suffer from a lot of anxiety, uh, a lack of control on their life. They feel, you know, like a lot is going on and they, 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 they don't, they're kind of in a whirlpool of thoughts and, and stuff going on around them. Uh, lack of center, you know, they don't really know they, what, what they are about. All of that can be resolved by a free medicine that has no contraindications <laughs> that is available to you at any time. You know, you always carry it with you. 
And it's meditation. It's pretty much, you know, using your breath and going in and creating that silence. And I do know that I used to have a lot of anxiety. I mean, I, I wish, you know, very often I, I think, you know, I wish I did those interviews and those recordings 10 years ago because I was a very different person. I was suffering from a lot of anxiety and anything that happened in my life would just throw me off for months, six months, sometime a year, you know, so like, like things would just like trouble my head for so, so long. So meditation also, I think people think a lot like, oh, it's not thinking. It's stopping to think. It's not really that. It's just not to be mastered and controlled by your thoughts. Your thoughts are still going to go on, but you keep your center in it. So it's like there's a storm on the, on the water in the ocean, but your boat doesn't move. You're that this central boat that doesn't move anymore. The life is still going to happen. You're still going to feel, you know, you're still going to be sad. You're still going to be joyful, but you're not going to be stuck in it forever. You know, like for months, for years, where some people talk to me sometime about what happened with their ex-wife 10 years ago, or what happened, you know, with their boss, you know, over and over again the last three years. And meditation allowed to really clear all that junks. To me, it's like the daily shower. It's like going in, taking a hose, taking some soap, and washing the inside, <laughs> of cleaning, you know, and then going for all day. So we come cleaner, you know, we come cleaner for others, for ourselves first, you know, which is the most important. And then we can come cleaner for others and we can serve better. You know, we talked about service earlier. There's no way we can really serve others in a great way if we don't do that daily work. It doesn't mean we're masters of it. You know, we're not, you know, you have the Buddha behind you. It doesn't mean we're trying to be the Buddha. You know, none of us is perfect. We're all humans. But it does mean that we are accountable for our own work. We say, you know what? I'm taking responsibility. I'm doing my own practice. I'm doing my own work. I'm not pretending perfection, but I'm trying every day to be a bit better than yesterday. That's all we're trying to do, to be better today than yesterday. That's it. There's no goals of perfections or, you know, becoming a monk, a Zen, you know, a monk, you know, uh, or the teacher you mentioned, you know, we don't want to be that. I mean, some people might want to, and it's great, but it's more to be able to function as a human being in a, in a better way, you know, have control over our bad habits, eating habits, drinking habits, drugs. I mean, whatever habits are, you know, that are not serving us, how do we take control of all that stuff, our anger? Very often I... I work with leaders and CEOs and, and they, they define themselves as great leaders because they have, you know, hundreds or even thousands of employees. But I say, do you already, are you already a good leader if you're manage 2000 people, but you can't manage the one person that you're looking in the mirror in the morning. If you can't manage that one person, it's own anxiety. How do you want to really truly manage 2000 people? How really authentic is it to talk about good communication between teams when your own inner voice is so loud and angry, anxious or fearful or upset, whatever is going on. Meditation is it's not a miracle solution, but it does miracle if you do practice it. You know, and it 
added with coachings and all the things, I really believe it's, you cannot go without it. It's just not possible, especially in the world of today. Again, very well said. So I'm reading a book, uh, a guy named George Mumford, who was hired by Phil Jackson, the NBA coach who coached Michael Jordan and the Bulls, and then also the Los Angeles Lakers, the Kobe and Shaq team. So he won 11 championships as a coach, and he is big, enormous. He's called the Zen master in the world of sports. I don't know how well you know him, but he's known for his meditation. He had his players practice in the dark actually. And he okay. has a meditate before every game and every practice. Yeah, now, really in cool. the book, this is what I want to ask you about specifically though, is I, I'm still, I'm a novice in this world of meditating, but I find it fascinating. Come on, you've been doing what, how many hours you've done? Like you, you're a great meditator. You've done for a long time. Yeah. For a nineties baby, I'm, I think I'm ahead of the curve, but you know, that's a hey, comparison kills joy. We're not comparing. Yeah. And there's no, there's no diplomas at the end. There's no, yeah, there's yeah. no goal, like we said. So, but the, the big general consensus that they this coach taught Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant was the space between the inhale and the exhale. Mm-hmm. That there's, that, there's that, that breath between the breath. And I wanted to talk to you about that because I'm sure in all your practices around the world, you know a lot more than I do about the space between. But can you can you touch on that and and does it make sense why this guy was teaching that in athletics specifically? Yeah, so it's uh, I probably you know study that for hours and hours and hours with my teacher just that specific space. So right. there's a lot there, and huh. it's in very so in very very ancient scriptures uh, that are probably six or seven thousand year old. There is those meditation techniques from those sage that have been studied human beings for thousands of years in different types of meditation. And I came around with different types of meditations. And one of them is that meditation on that space. Uh, so some people meditate with a mantra, like transcendental meditation, TM is, is using a mantra. Uh, some people just use the breaths. Uh, some people use a point of focus with their eyes so they can look at a candle, for example. Uh, some people can use also uh, uh, focusing on the sound of the breath, not just looking at the breath, but the sound that it makes. But the space between the inhale and the exhale, um, so it's a very metaphysical, uh, spiritual practice. The best way to really describe it is to experience it. <laughs> and I always have my students, when I teach meditations, and I, I always teach people three or four different methods because we all are different and I have my own favorites and it might be very different for you and I don't think there's a right or wrong. Um, you know, I think mantra meditation is interested, but I think mantra is kind of limiting because you're still engaging your mind as you're saying a mantra. So... It's a good launch pad, but I would not recommend people to do mantra meditation all the time because I think you want to get to a silent place at some point. So either breath or, you know, between the breath meditation type. And when you start, so you start by a breath meditation and observing your breath and, you know, doing your meditation. And then you start, okay, start looking at that space because between your inhale and your exhale, there's a pause. You don't go immediately like like that there is like an inhale and then there's that pause and then there's an exhale in that pause 
you're in non-dual mode. You're neither inspiring, neither expiring outside. You're neither doing anything. Your body is kind of that in-between modes. And what you are is just awareness. You just pure consciousness. There's nothing else happening in your body. Beautiful. You're basically the watcher. What's watching at that moment is almost like that thing watching itself. And it can create a very deep, very deep spiritual experience by just looking at that space. And I don't want to detail, give more details because I don't want people to be too much in their mind. You know, the problem with meditation, if you describe it too much to people, then they're doing it trying to find what you talk about. Right, right, like, right. No, I got you. I got you. 100%. And you just want to experience it to people who just go there and watch that space. And you're going to be taken by your thoughts probably and forgot about it and go back to it. And just so let me ask you of all the work of all the work you've done with the space between this happened to me one time. I'm only about a year into stand-up comedy. So I do stand-up comedy one time. I experienced what Eckhart mentioned about becoming the observer where you're literally so present. You're like watching yourself have this real time moment. Have you had that experience as a, as a speaker or in many different phases of life? And is that to you the most present you can possibly be where you become the observer? Yeah, and, and, and become the observer. And, uh, and at some point, you become the whole universe. You expand because you, you're part of that whole consciousness thing. And, you know, when we say we are all one, you can experience this in meditation. And what's don't work to describe it. You know, it's a very experiential, uh, you know, it's, it's just experiential. So, but it's something that all of us experience between every breath. Uh, since we are born, we're just not aware of it. You know, and it's just a thing we need to pay attention to. And that's, like I said earlier, the healing process, whatever we're suffering with, is just a remembering process. You're just remembering going back to that thing that we already know, that we already have. That's all what we do when we're doing healing and transformation work in many ways. Wow. Unbelievable. Fascinating. Well, I, I know you only got a, a few more minutes, so I wanted to ask a couple of questions that I, I definitely wanted to get your two cents on. Being someone who's a leader and has empowered and affected tens of thousands of lives, you look at athletes, they're in a particular position of, of leadership and power in today's society. Not to put you on the spot, and you don't have to give me anything specific, but if you were to you know, be in front of a group of athletes and you could tell them how they could have the most impact in the world, what would you tell them? I think, you know, it's always to connect with their heart. Not for, never forget that, you know. I think some athletes, and not all of them, but some of them, you know, because of sometimes the amount of money and the pressure and, and you know, all what comes with the sacrifice get had to get in their head a lot, you know, and get worried and get very centered around that. But to remember the calling, to remember why in the first place, you know, 20 years ago when they were little, they wanted to do that and connect to that place. Because... If they connect that pace when they play, uh, when they talk in an interview, when they talk to younger people and they talk to them from that place, they are going to guide people in the right way. They are going to use the right words. They are not going to misguide people. They're not going to, you know, 
guide them for the wrong reason there. And they would be truly inspiring then, you know, not just keeping people sleeping, but connecting to the deeper, you know, layers of people. And I think for them to always remember that as they walk in front of a camera, as they walk into a field, because, you know, we have responsibilities. Like when I give a talk, you know, I have to remember that I have a responsibility and be careful what I'm going to use because you never know the words you're using and you're saying, you know, how they can impact someone. So you have to be always try to be as mindful as possible. It's coming from the most authentic place possible. No, it's never perfect. It's never always possible, but trying always to connect from that place. That is amazing. Unbelievable. Thank you so much for that. And I know, I know that was straight from here, baby, straight from here. Cause that question was not prepared. Now, when, when you, I, I guess I want to ask how, how does it feel when you walk away from a speech and you impact the life of another human being? I and mean, is that to you? Cause you've, you've said it numerous times. It's not the money and it's not the materialistic stuff that gets you going and keeps you motivated. So for you, is it the sweetest gift of all to empower and enlighten people that you come across in your craft and your day to day? You know, the sweetest gift, I mean, sometimes it's not even a speech or something. It's sometimes it's someone that sent you an email. Um, I mean, you know, most of the speech you don't get paid or, you know, your social media and all of that, you get paid for that and, and you go over advice for that for free and that's fine, you know. And sometimes you got someone say, hey, I've been following your blog for five years or I've been following your Instagram for five years and and you've been a true mentor for me in teachers and you never talk to that person that person lives on the other side of the world you don't know them you know and she said you know i was going through a lot at the time in my life and it really helped me to go through something and inspired me and this is where i am today and i receive emails like that sometimes incredible and that's what keeps me motivated it's not the big speeches it's not the facebook likes or the instagram comments it's really, you know, you know, every time, you know, I don't know, twice a month, three times a month, getting an email from a random person that just emailed, say, thank you. Not that we're doing it for thank you, but like you say, you know what? I've touched someone and it was purely forgiving. You know, you do it, you give it, that person received it and that's it. You've done your job and that's why we're doing it. It was not for money. It's what we are here for as human beings. We touch someone's life. We transform someone's life. It was completely, you know, under the radar. It's not about to be on TV or in big speeches. That's what it is about. That's really what matters at the end of the day, you know. It's amazing. And I want to end on that, but I got one more because I was so fascinated by your speech where you talked about happiness and because you're someone that has manifested so much in their life and I mean, I don't know. I don't know you obviously personally, so I don't want to say you're a self-actualizer, but you know, there's very few percent of people that do self-actualize. You sound like you are certainly one or well on your way. So my question that I, I want people to hear is when you get to the top of a mountain that you've wanted to climb or, or a goal that you've wanted to achieve for a long time and you get it and maybe it's not what it seems or maybe not that the juice wasn't worth the squeeze, just it wasn't what it was in your head, but you did it. 
and it was something you want to do for a long time. Because I know there's a lot of people out there that have goals for years. They get it, and it's not what they want. And then it comes back down to the happiness thing and sense of self and purpose and, and calling. So what would you say to those people that are still climbing to make sure that they're still climbing for the right reasons and ultimately that they'll, they'll have a sense of fulfillment when they get there, whether it is what they visualize or, or whether it isn't? Yeah, I, I think, you know, most people, when they have a suffering, they kind of know it even if they self-medicate in some ways by a big social life or alcohol or whatever, they find ways to not feel the pain. But they, when we know we're not aligned fully, when we know something are missing, even if we're on a big goal or building a big company, we know in, there's an inner voice we need to take care of. And so I say, well, can we dedicate a little bit of time every day or every week to start nurturing a little bit that voice? Continue what you're doing. Don't obviously don't change your life. Don't go, you know, to India. Don't tell anyone to change their lives. That's not the point. But can we start cultivating that and start putting some milestones, some foundations, so we can prepare that things too? You know, because that's the important one. You know, don't modify life. Don't you know you have your wife, your kids, your they go to school. We're not changing anything. But can we make sure that in the next five years, you know, we don't hand up where we have had up five years ago. So we start building some different foundations. And most people, you know, I think when they start to come to see a coach or someone doing transformation work, they are ready to start hearing, okay, you know what? I'm ready to take care of that, you know? Um, that's how we start. We start very gently, you know, putting things in place. And... Miracles happen. <laughs> wow. There it is, folks. Unbelievable conversation. Riveting, Guillaume. Thank you so well, much. Thank you so much for your time. It was wonderful. Oh, my gosh. Likewise. The, the value and wisdom you've provided me alone is just gratitude through the computer for eons. Thank you so much. And folks listening, it's Guillaume Goodero. Please check out his website, G-A-U-T-H-E-R-E-A-U group.com. That's goodero.group.com and his IG, G Goodero as well. Guillaume, thank you so much. For a guy who had a fever, thank wouldn't you. have even known, my friend. Wouldn't have even known. Thank you. Yeah, you got me good energy talking about those things. Likewise. Thank you so much for the time. Thank Namaste. You. I'll so I'll you on the West Coast soon, okay? <laughs> Absolutely. Have a great rest of your day. Bye. All right, until next time. You've been listening to The Sanctuary Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Remember, we're a source of talks about spirituality, personal transformation, energy healing, shamanism, and earth-based practices. For more, visit thesanctuaryheal.com. On the website, you can find out about our events, our retreats, healing offering, our spiritual blog, and you can also register for the newsletter. Again, visit thesanctuaryheal.com. Till next time, this is The Sanctuary Podcast, and Angel Deer signing off.